Here we are, Locked On NFL Thursday edition with our guest, Mike Sando. I am Brian Peacock alongside the scout, Matt Williamson. We're taking you around the league daily here on the Locked On Podcast Network. You can find this podcast on all of your favorite podcast apps. And you can find me on Twitter at BD Peacock. Matt is at Williamson NFL and Mike Sando of The Athletic is a must-follow at Sando NFL. Mike, Matt, well, it's another week in the NFL, another player that wants out of his current home and wants a new destination. And Ian Rappaport, the latest I saw, is that uh, still non-injury, Stephon Diggs not at practice with the Minnesota Vikings. The Vikings have said they have no plans. They do not want to trade Stephon Diggs. He's unhappy. Uh, But the last line of his tweet from Rappaport is what's interesting, and it's kind of the same lines that we saw with the Jacksonville Jaguars and Jalen Ramsey. It's unless they get some massive offer. So basically, and it seems to me the teams at this point, and which is probably the right way to play it, and I would expect teams to not be bullied around by players in the NFL because that's just not what's going to happen, I think, for most of these clubs. And the idea is, look, we will trade this player for the same offer that we would have traded him for before he said he wanted out. And so basically them saying they want out makes no difference. And we've seen Jacksonville not get the two firsts and the big offer they want for Jalen Ramsey. And it looks like it'll probably be the same situation, I assume, for Stephon Diggs. The Vikings season has been very weird. I mean, they play Atlanta in the first game. They're up 28 to nothing. So they're not going to be throwing it around. They had an unusually run-heavy day, right? I mean, that's not going to be every week, even if you are more of a run-heavy offense. Um you know, they played the Raiders in a very similar game where they're way ahead. And then against the Bears, they couldn't get anything going, and Cousins was terrible. So if I were them, yes, you listen, and, you know, somebody offers you an amazing package. But I don't think after four games we know that Stephon Diggs has no value to the Vikings anymore and is a terrible fit there. Do we know that? So I think that's a really good point, too. Their season has been really strange. And I also kind of look at the Vikes and partially, like you said, I mean, the teams they play have a lot to do with this, so maybe I'm overreacting that if the Vikes are going to be a strong run attack and have success on the ground, they'll probably win that game. If not, they're playing left-handed and it doesn't work so well. And the Bears might be the exception. I mean, they might be too extreme. And I get this, and I would think there'd be a lot of teams interested in digs. And, Brian, you and I went around the league and talked about teams that might want A.J. Green. There'd be probably this very similar list. But with this situation, how on earth do you trade digs if you're the Vikes? I mean, (laughs) you're looking for a third receiver. You can't get rid of your number 1A. Especially with the usage, if that's what he's upset about, he had seven catches for 108 yards last week. So... I don't really know what the problem is there unless there's something a lot deeper that I'm not seeing being reported, but it doesn't make a lot of sense there. The Stephon Diggs thing just kind of didn't see that coming in Minnesota. Both of you guys making great points there. And Matt, to your point, yeah, like what are the Vikings going to do at wide receiver if they trade a guy in a passing game when they're already struggling? Really none of it makes sense. And he'd be one of the more surprising ones that actually saw getting moved because I don't think the offers are going to be there. I've seen the Buffalo Bills being talked about a lot that would be a team maybe interested, but are you going to give up a first round pick for Stefan Diggs if you're the Buffalo Bills right now? Maybe. I mean, I, I don't have a problem with that move, but I just, that's not enough for me if I'm the Vikes because then I'm kind of throwing my season away. I want to talk about a young quarterback around the league that is creating a stir in Gardner, 
Minshew. And I want to hear your guys' opinions on whether, you know, it's his style, his mustache that maybe is is getting him more credit than he deserves as a passer, or if his his season so far has been legit coming out of nowhere as a six-round rookie and being forced into action early. I love the poise I've seen from him. They're calling it Minshew magic with his his work in the pocket, which I've seen, which you don't see a lot from rookie quarterbacks. And by the way, the Locked On Network has a partnership with Breaking Tees, Breaking t.com slash locked on you can find the locked on t-shirt collection which there are a few of the gardener miss you variety up there Minshew mania t-shirt <laughs> one that says over them mountains he's dressed up like uncle rico and he did that meet and greet with uncle rico and did some video stuff there so uh, check that out breaking t.com slash locked on but my question i'll put it to you first mike uh Minshew wasn't a part of your quarterback tiers obviously preseason where do you think he would be right now? Do you think he would be sneaking up into some of those tiers, maybe tier number three right now, potentially with some helium? No, because for people who haven't played enough, you just put him in the fourth tier. I mean, even though, like, so when people liked Mahomes, he'd only had one start. Even he just goes in the fourth tier. we got to see more than we've seen. So I don't think we start having that conversation yet in terms of, oh, do you slot him behind Deshaun Watson? You know, after four games. But I think you have to love what you've seen and want to see more. And look, I said after his first start, let's let it, let's see a few because he could be horrible next week. We don't have enough. We still don't have enough, but everything we have is really encouraging. And, you know, you've been watching Blake Bortles there for years. So, (laughs) you know, this is refreshing. This is awesome. This is a possibility. And Oh, by the way, you have Nick Foles who we know is better than Bortles. So now you've got, a great problem. You got two guys that are better than the guy you had, and this guy may be way better, right? I mean, Matt, we don't. I don't think we know, but he he's got some moxie that 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 dance around the pocket touchdown pass. You know, yeah. it looked like that looked like those bag drills they do at camp. You know, where the guys like go <laughs> go in between them in like figure eights and they have to keep their eyes up. It's what it looked like. It looked ridiculous. So, yeah. I mean, let's see more. Brian, I don't know if we've talked enough Minshew, and and here's my take on him just watching him as an NFL player, was when I started watching him, and like as soon as Foles went down and you really started to pay attention to him, I was like, man, this guy is patient and calm, and I almost worried, like, is he holding the ball too long? Like, he just doesn't flinch. Like, his he's Iceman. I mean, he was just calm and collected and I think that's just his demeanor, and it kind of goes with the jorts and the you know the way he appears off the off the field too. And he's a forty-two wonderlick guy, and I think he plays smart. Sometimes those really intellectual quarterbacks don't play smart, but I think he understands defenses really well. I, I think he knows when to hold them, knows when to fold them. Um, he, but the thing that stands out most about him is he's highly, highly accurate. I mean, and those traits probably are never going to fail him. I mean, if those three things, calmness, intelligence, accuracy, I I don't know how they change, you know, after 10 games, 20 games, whatever. And and to Mike's original point, there certainly is something to the league getting the book on you too. You know, like we're seeing Baker Mayfield struggle a little more. You know, people spent the offseason watching him. and, And, you know, it's just... The second time around the league, it's the pitcher analogy that they realize your curveball is not as good or whatever, is is still 
uh, a work in, or who knows it's an incomplete but for me I don't know how you insert Foles as the starter assuming it's you know it stays pretty much the, the course it's been on and I like the way Fournette's playing and DJ Baby Chark is my man. He's been great. Yes, and I've been meaning to talk about DJ Chark in our, our breakdowns after the Sunday games because it's definitely a breakout year for him, and we kind of never really get to talk a lot about him, but DJ Chark absolutely showing out in his uh, second year, and, and he has the, all the height, weight, speed that you would want, and that development starting to come, and so yeah, I like that connection with Minshew to Chark, absolutely. Uh, we've got to take a break here, but uh, that kind of leads me into – you talked about how the league figures people out and you know, about a month of, of film will start to help some defensive coordinators figure out what they want to do against the Jaguars and Gardner Minshew and Mike in your pick six this week at the athletic, you talked about what the Browns revealed about the Ravens that we'll talk about next long day at work, still stuck at the office, open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat and your food will be delivered to you wherever you are. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter promo code Locked On. If you found $100 on the street, would you pick it up or keep walking? Of course, you'd take the money. So why do you keep picking winners and not betting on them? Put that knowledge to use. If you're listening to this show, you're obviously a well-informed football fan. Make yourself a little cash with my bookie. It's fast, it's easy, and they pay when you win. Let's face it, where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on. Do the smart thing. If you're going to bet this football season, bet with my bookie. Did you know you could bet on games after kickoff? If by the second half it looks like your bet is going to lose, you can always just take the other side. If you're the kind of guy that likes to bet a little and win a lot, try a parlay. If all your picks come through, you'll multiply your winnings, and no matter how you bet, the NFL season is the best time of year. Join now and my bookie will double your first deposit. Use promo code locked on to activate the offer. That's promo code locked on. Visit mybookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. Mike, you talked about some personnel or you talked to some personnel people about Browns and Ravens. And I know uh, they had some ideas about what they thought the Ravens would look like this season. The Ravens jumped out to a really good start. Is the league starting to figure out how to play against Lamar Jackson right now? You know, I think yes to some degree. You know, the, it was interesting. When you're writing on a Sunday night, you know, you don't have 48 hours to synthesize and really watch, the, you know, the whole game more carefully. So what I wrote about was feedback I got that night from people who had seen the game. Uh, and they thought that the way that they, that Cleveland blitzed him and got up on Lamar Jackson quickly um, you know, that he started, that his eyes started to come down, that it was not, you know, looking quite as easy. And so I didn't have the full blitz numbers um, at that time. And since then, Jackson was six of nine for 90 yards and three touchdowns against the blitz. But he got sacked four times and they picked him off too. So I think that's a component um, potentially of it. But, you know, if I were sitting there on Sunday night again and uh, finishing out this item, I think you have to look too at, you know, with the giving up the big plays by the Ravens defense, because, you know, the amount of points that the other team scores affects how you want to play. Right. And we know how Baltimore wants to play. They want to have balance and they want to have a big run component. And some of those things aren't there as much when, uh, you know, when you're behind. So I think it was a little bit twofold and the blitzing part on Lamar Jackson 
will be an interesting one to watch. The first two weeks against really bad teams, he killed the blitz. I think it was five touchdowns, no interceptions. And then the last couple of weeks, a little bit better teams, the blitz really, um, you know, there was mixed results for him. So I think it's something to watch. Let's, let's talk Ravens because I've really dug into them this week because they're coming to town Sunday. So I've been breaking down the Ravens like crazy. And I read your, you know, of course I read your article early and noticed the blitz situation. So, you know, I keep getting asked, how should the Steelers deal with Lamar? And I think blitzing is an aggressive, frightening way of doing it. But I want to make his mind work quickly. You know, I want the ball to come out before he wants it to. But you better have, you know, in this case, Devin Bush or somebody that can spy him because if you blitz like crazy and run past him and he's free, you're in big trouble. I originally thought, you know, the best way to rush him, and this has been true of Baker Mayfield speaking of that game, is keep him in the pocket, um, really design your pass rush so that you're clogging throwing lanes, don't let him get out on the edges. But he's a better passer than that. I mean, he's eaten that up too, especially downfield if you give him time. I think this Baltimore offense is quite good. Um, you know, after the first two weeks, you mentioned, I mean, they played awful teams. They went to Miami, killed them, then they destroyed the Cardinals. I was open to the idea that maybe Baltimore's clearly the number three team in the AFC. And then the past two weeks, their special teams are still awesome as always. I'm a believer in the offense. I love Lamar. Their defense is flat out bad. I mean, it's a real problem. And I think they've missed some leadership. I think they've missed Suggs and Zadarius Smith on the outside. Really miss Mosley in the middle. Um, Earl Thomas, you would think, is an upgrade to Weddle. But I think some of – they're a really complex defense that lives with Blitz. And I think that they're not communicating as well. And I think Weddle has something to do with that. Their edge pass rush is non-existent. And they just got – gashed on the run last past week by the, by the Browns. So getting Brandon yeah. Williams back would help, but this defense is not at all what it used to be. And, and if you remember when we uh, went, remember when I had that column on executives worries for every team? Yeah. 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 The one on the Ravens was the, the defensive leadership that walked out the door, I believe. And will you be able to play good enough defense to enable the style of play offensively that you want to adhere to? And, after two weeks, it seemed like a silly question, right? Because mm-hmm. they played Miami and Arizona, and they, they were awesome. But give, giving up 73 points over the last two weeks, I don't know if they were all by the defense, but you know what I mean. It's a lot of points. Um, it's almost like 600 yards a game over the last three games. And, it's crazy. And when people told me in the offseason, oh, Earl Thomas, what an ad. I'm a little too close to it here in Seattle, just like you're too, a little too close to things in Pittsburgh, Matt. You know, we're mm-hmm. – but – it's too close in a good way. It was like, I know what old Thomas is. He's a great athlete. He doesn't, he's not playing in the system. He, he's doing what he wants to do. And hmm. the, he's already in a fight in the locker room, right? Right. With someone on the team. And he is already being pointed out for not chasing after a play, right? Because he didn't want to pull his hamstring. Oh, he just stopped at the 50-yard line and decided not to do it at all. He stopped I mean, at the 50, yeah. So, that's not the Ravens' way. Right. Earl Thomas does what he wants to do. And that's why... That was one of the reasons why they weren't finding a way to keep him there in Seattle, as talented as he is. So how does that all fit in a new defense? You know, if he's mm-hmm. if he's a freelancer in the defense that he was already playing and is known his whole career and really is in tune with, how's that going to fit in a new place? And it could be great, but that was a little bit of a concern. 
how do you think Ray and Suggs and Reed would have handled him not chasing a play? <laughs> you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, right. Yeah, there would be real problems. Yeah, I think part of that was Earl Thomas watching Nick Chubb run and thinking, uh, it's not very often that someone's going to outrun the angle on me, but I think that's going to happen right now, so I'm just going to sort of throttle down. And mm-hmm. it's funny that, Matt, you mentioned them getting Brandon Williams back, one of the better nose tackles in the league for a while now, would absolutely help that run defense. And I think that's the guy that Earl Thomas got in a scuffle with, right? Because he it wants was. him he wants him out there. He wants less blockers out there. And, and that's one of the things that stood out to me in that Browns-Ravens game, too, is the tackling and just um, Chubb ran wild on them. And I think... Not only did we learn some, something about the Ravens in that game, and I think it's more like Lamar Jackson sort of coming to earth, like still being good, but not being like you mentioned the five touchdowns to no interceptions ratio and just dropping bombs all day long to everybody and just being out of control, just being still good, but maybe not at the level we saw for the first couple of weeks. And then can the defense overcome whatever else they need to? But also, I think the Browns, we learned a lot about them and they started to play a little bit more like we saw at the end of the 2018 season and the reason they had all that hype coming into this season. And it's looking like they might've figured something out on their own and maybe playing a little bit more downhill and utilizing Chubb first in that offense, instead of putting everything on Baker Mayfield, which I think bodes well for them going into Monday night football this week against the 49ers. It does are ahead. ahead. Yeah. When you're yeah. ahead like that, which maybe the run game was a big part of that, but um, you know, for, for most teams, you know, you want to be, you want to have the option of doing either. Um, but especially when you're building the offense, you know, the way they are. So, yeah, I do think the Browns took a step forward. And uh, first off, I want to mention Lamar. Like I am a huge Lamar fan. He was my number one quarterback in that draft. But I think after two weeks, some of the public were like, oh, he's the next Mahomes. Like chill. There's not, that doesn't happen every year. You know I mean? He's, he's, he's developing nicely, but he's not all world all of a sudden. It's not like people just emerged like Mahomes did last year. But for the Browns, I think a key to them, obviously playing with the lead helped. I think they have to go through Chubb. Mayfield has struggled, and I mentioned how people have rushed him. But another thing that they did, which is really important that they did in the second half of last year, is they're utilizing more big personnel now. I mean, for the first three games of the season, they lived in 11 personnel. And why does that matter is – Instead of having a lot of defensive backs on the field and unpredictable coverages and a lot of speed and you don't know where the blitz is coming from, is it a safety, is it an edge guy, you play with heavier personnel and it's a little easier just to identify coverages. You get you know easier, more predictable looks and then you can manipulate those better. And I think that helped Mayfield a lot in this past week. Yep, no doubt. I just think for them the more things can just calm down, you know, and you can right. just go play football and we can get out of the storylines and the back and forth with, you know, even this game included, you know, with, with, with uh, Baltimore included, you know, fighting and all that type of stuff. And did he choke them and not, uh, which luckily they won the game. So you're not having to deal with it every week. Uh, that's to me, that's was the number one sort of concern was all this hype and hoopla. And here they are on Monday night. Um, so, you know, I wouldn't be shocked at all if the Browns totally came back to earth, didn't handle success well and lost by two touchdowns, but they, right. They steadied it a little bit this last week. It feels like, you know, hopefully it can just calm down and they can play football and just be a team that's, you know, at a certain point in this development. And we look up at the end of the year and you know what, they made a lot of progress. Mike, while we're talking real quick, 10 second answer, who would you pick in the AFC North to win the division right now? I'd probably lean towards Baltimore. Yeah, I think I still would, but but 
It's tenuous. I mean, the, yeah, that D needs to show me more. Yeah. Yeah, we could have that three-way tie with three teams at two and three at the top of the division this week if uh, if both the Steelers yeah. at home and the 49ers at home beat the Browns. So that would be uh, – it's an interesting division. It's going to be a fun one. Uh, there's another interesting division for different reasons, and that is the uh, the North in the NFC. And one of your notes here in your pick six, Mike, was Matt Patricia and the job he's doing there in Detroit with the two one-and-one Lions. Okay, so coming out of week one, I did a column on – Hey, what are what are you what am I worried about out of week one? And so, just from where Detroit was at, you know, after uh, a couple of years with Patricia and they've been sort of stuck in the mud, and you know, a, a Belichick type clone trying to export that culture can wear on people. And here they lost that huge lead to the Cardinals, right? And they tied; they didn't lose. But I thought, and you know, even people in the league thought. Is this a tenuous situation? That's a terrible type of loss. I mean, is this the type of team that could slip away? And here they are a couple of weeks later, and they've done some really nice things. So hats off to them. Uh, we'll see if the worries play out over the course of a season. But I think this is multiple times now that Matt Patricia has had a pretty good defensive showing against an elite offense. And I think last year we saw – uh, him do really well against New England, which you could say, hey, he knows the Patriots and you know maybe he had the secret sauce figured out. But I think later in the year, before Chicago totally derailed the Rams, like the week before, I thought that the Lions did a pretty good job. You know, and it wasn't the typical type of game that the Rams have been having offensively. So now you have this one, and yes, I know the Chiefs had 34 points, but they had a defensive touchdown. And I think it was a 13-13 type game pretty deep into the game. It wasn't like Kansas City just came out, flexed their muscle. So uh, I'm encouraged by that, um, you know, from where things could have gone after blowing that lead. It wouldn't have shocked me at all if the wheels came off, and it hasn't. Uh, I think they've, they've shown something. Yeah, both Brian and I have apologized to the Lions a couple times this year for <laughs> yes. under, underrating them a little bit. I think, that, I think Stafford's playing the best I've seen him play in – five, six years or whatever. And they have balance on offense, not only run pass balance, but if you remember like week one, Hawkinson blew up. Week two, it was Galladay. Week three, it was Marvin Jones. Like they got guys now and the line's solid. And this kind of leads us to the night's game too. But you mentioned Patricia with his game plans. He's the one that stopped the Rams the first time that Belichick took that game plan and used it in the Super Bowl. Yes, yeah, and I think I think the Bears did some things too the next week, but they're mm-hmm. just obviously a great defense. So yeah, yep, I think that's encouraging. I'm with you on you know watching Stafford too. You know it's it's early in a new offense, and I think there was you know, there's been concerns that they're just going to be too much of a grinded out offense and just want to run the ball all the time. And here you've got this talented quarterback, but there can be a mix. And you know, Daryl Bevel's there, and he was with uh, you know he was with Seattle earlier, and there were. There, you know, as much as people wanted them to throw the ball more, there were some good parts of that offense too. You know, with the shot plays and being able to be explosive and and that sort of thing. So, yeah, pleasantly surprised with it, and let's see where it goes. That's a perfect segue. After the break, we will get to the Thursday night football game: Rams at Seahawks. So, Mike, it's looking like, and you know, it's one of those conversation pieces, and people always talk about the team that loses the Super Bowl always has a really weird season the next year. And the Rams right now are three and one, so it's not like they're having a bad year. But last week, one of the big eye openers was the Bucks dropping fifty points on the Rams, and 
it was like, wait a second, what is that? In Los Angeles, uh, now the Rams have to travel to a tough place to play in Seattle. And you put some statistics here in your pick six about the Rams. And I think it's what the last 11 games, uh, things aren't going as well as they did when the McVay era just shot out of a cannon to begin with. Absolutely. Maybe we shouldn't expect, you know, to maintain that amazing meteoric rise, but the Chiefs have. That was something I pointed out, too. <laughs> like, if we're going to give the coaches credit and everybody credit for being masterminds, then we got to say when it drops off a little bit. So McVay has coached 40 games, uh, counting the playoffs there. Okay, Sean McVay uh, obviously done a great job. But if we look at the last 11 games, they're totally different from the games before that. You know, and so in the first... I've got it the first 28 games because I'm throwing out the Week 17 game where the rest of the starters going to the playoffs uh, that one year. But if you just look at them for for McVay's first 28 games on early downs, first and second down, okay, that is when they have their advantage because they know you got to play the run in the pass. Jared Goff, 37 touchdowns, seven interceptions, okay, 37 and seven. Now let's go to early downs in the last 11 games. That 37 and 7 touchdowns and interceptions become 6 and 7. So hmm. that's a big difference. And if you look at Goff, you know, on any down uh, uh, since then, it's like the same number of touchdowns as interceptions. He had two third down interceptions in the first half to help them get behind 21 nothing last week. So for whatever reason, Matt, they're not having that, they're not keeping people off balance on, to me on those early downs so that they can avoid. Jared Goff having to play the harder brand of quarterback football, which is, you know, third down and people, you know, not honoring the play action and all that type of stuff. Yeah, I think there's a lot to look at here. And first of all, I think the the number one thing to me is the line, offensive line, it, maybe that's just from this year to last year as opposed to, you know, when you started talking about these stats, which are remarkable. But I thought it was one of the best in the league, and now it's one of the bottom five, six, seven. And that's a huge problem. Like Number one offseason need to me is go get a lineman or two, and they've lost a couple noticeable guys, and age is settled in. That's huge. They don't run the ball nearly as well or as often as they used to. Is that Gurley's knee? I think it has something to do with it. I mean, he's not getting many attempts, and I think a lot of it's just because it's not working as well. Everything goes off that outside zone run, and it's just not as effective as it was. I also think, kind of like we were talking about with Patricia and Belichick, that there is a blueprint out there right now to making things difficult against that scheme, and because they're not overwhelming in the trenches, they're not overcoming it yet. I trust McBay will figure it out. Matt, Go ahead, go ahead, yeah. To your point about and, the uh, the offensive line for the Rams, Pro Football Focus has them graded as the second worst in the league. Wow. Pass blocking grade. The only team worse is the Miami Dolphins. So uh, I think you're on to something there with that being a little bit of the problem. But Goff definitely laid an egg last week, just turned the ball over left and right. And one of the things is, is the Buccaneers we're finding out is a really, really good run defense. They've played well against Gurley. They've played well against Christian McCaffrey, uh, against the 49ers run game, which has been really good pretty much every week. So... Yeah, that's just something to monitor. And we got to talk a little bit about the Seahawks as well. And Mike, you're very close to the Seahawks. I would like to hear how you feel about this iteration of the team. They've obviously lost, a, you know, kind of like we talked about with the Ravens. They've lost a lot of those old leadership players. Legion of Boom is gone. I see their schedule and a guy like Tedrick Thompson, who's the starting free safety for Earl Thomas. 
There's been multiple touchdowns that are literally just completely on him. And if Earl Thomas was there, it would have never happened. One of those John Ross touchdowns against Cincinnati, which is the Cincinnati is one of the worst teams in the league. I think most people would agree. And the Seahawks barely got out of there with a win 21-20 in week one. So what do the Seahawks look like right now going into Thursday night football? Well, I think they're very much a work in progress. Very great for them to be three and one. You know, a bummer for them to lose that Saint game. They could be four and zero, oh, but for but for them, they're a team that finds their way over the course of a season, uh, usually. So I think they're the fact that they are that Russell Wilson has great numbers, career best, and that they're three and one. I mean, that's everything they could have hoped for. Um, the secondary has to find its way. It's learning how to play the positions the way that Pete Carroll asks you to play them. It's different than other places. It takes time. Sometimes you have to uh, work into that mentality of, uh, hey, we're, we're not giving up the big play. It's okay to give up some of the other stuff. You know, they get, you, when they were at their best, they gave up completions, but they smacked the heck out of you when you got them. So I think those guys are learning um, how to play it, both at corner. We've seen Shaq Griffin take the step maybe a little bit, and Trey Flowers is still taking it. It's a little bit up and down. Tedrick Thompson, up and down. Uh, I don't know if Tedrick Thompson is going to be long-term, solution there. But, um, you know, I think usually their team, uh, you know, improves over the course of a season. I think their pass rush is going to be very interesting. So this game tonight, this Ram game is a great litmus test for me because if the offensive line of the Rams is not what it used to be, and you're getting, you know, a very old Andrew Whitworth on a short week, this is where the, the storyline after the game for Seattle needs to be, hey, did you see Clowney, Jadavian Clowney? Did you see Ziggy Ansah? That's why they got these guys. And now they have a pass rush. And now that secondary can develop. We haven't, we've seen it in bits and spurts. You know, I think Clowney had a pick six last week. He's sort of rounding into form in the new defense. Ziggy Ansah a moment or two, but not much. So how those two guys, I think, come along the rest of the year will determine whether they're the type of team that cannot just go, you know, win nine or 10 games because you have Russell Wilson and you're just going to find a way, but maybe actually win a playoff game. Yeah. Tonight, like that secondary really, really worries me against cooks cup, you know, woods, those three receivers are dynamite and Seattle's defense has been better than I expected. I thought it would be a liability, but they also haven't really played a good offense yet either. And um, to your point, I think they will round into shape. Jerron Reed will be back in a couple weeks, too. That's a nice addition. But I'm going to take Seattle because I think they'll be able to run the ball and run the ball and run the ball, and I think they have the better quarterback at home. Yeah, it's interesting. So remember we were talking about what's Goff's record of versus, versus different teams, and mm-hmm. um, Russell Wilson's 1-3 and three against the Goff teams. I don't think it has wow. a lot to do with Goff, but it's – it has something to do with them, but you know, their team. So maybe this is one where it starts to even out a little bit. You know, you got short week, tough loss last week for Tampa uh, or against Tampa. And it wasn't just a, Oh, we took our eye off the ball loss. It was sort of a, Hey, this is emblematic that there's some symptoms here. that are a little worrisome on the Rams. They're still going to be a good team, but it's more of a struggle every week. They're more of a regular team now. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right, right. A regular team goes into Seattle on a short week and probably loses. So, right. 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 You know, maybe that's likely, but I I'm with you that Seattle's playing a, you know, three linebackers on the field a lot now. So how does their sort of nickel or lack of nickel defense fare against the three wides of, of, uh, of those three Rams? Yeah, I think that's a big part of it. And that's why that pass rush is huge, right? If they can get after Goff, we know he gets nervous back there a little bit, right? Absolutely. And 
Brian, this is a little more up your alley, but I, I don't usually pay a lot of attention to the lines, but I was shocked that this one, the Rams were favored by two when it opened, and I think the Hawks are now favored by one or one and a half or something like that, too. Like, immediately Vegas is like, whoops, I think we made a mistake here. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that is a lot of movement there in that line. <laughs> and we're out of time here, but that's uh, it's going to be a fun one. And it looks like the second straight should be good Thursday night football game, which is nice. And what's odd about this one is you look at the schedule, you think, okay, Rams, Seahawks, week five, they're going to be vying for first place in the NFC West. That's not the case. They're looking for sole possession of second place until we find out what happens Monday Night Football with the 49ers, if they can hold serve and stay unbeaten. So NFC West getting very... There, Peacock. I see. I know you. Yeah. <laughs> I could have worked that yeah, angle in there. You threw that in there. Just, just want to remind everybody that until that completely throw. falls off the cliff if it does. No, yeah. <laughs> I like, the 49ers are showing something. So, hey, good job, guys. Great show. Absolutely. Thanks, fellas. And we'll be back tomorrow previewing and making picks for the Sunday and Monday Week 5 games right here, Locked On NFL.